Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah, a registered associate nutritionist and your favourite crazy bean. Full of Beans is on a mission to reduce eating disorder stigma and increase eating disorder awareness. Together, we will establish inspiring conversations with a range of individuals, including those with personal experience and their loved ones, as well as clinicians, researchers and charities who are all working to increase the understanding of eating disorders. Using my personal battle with atypical anorexia and body dysmorphia, as well as my Masters in Eating Disorders and Clinical Nutrition, we will together explore the experiences of like-minded individuals who are equally as passionate about sharing their stories to increase the understanding of eating disorders. Please note that this podcast discusses sensitive topics and should not be seen as a replacement for evidence-based therapy or treatment. Today I am joined by the lovely Katie Avis, a fellow registered associate nutritionist. Katie studied her master's at UCL in public health and clinical nutrition. Katie is the co-founder of EK Nutrition, an evidence-based platform which aims to communicate nutritional information so that it is available for everyone, not just those in the know. Katie is extremely passionate about promoting health and wellness and helping people lead happy lives in general. Katie is here today to share her own recovery, the difficult choices you have to make and why leaving your eating disorder behind really is the best thing you can do. Hello Katie. Hello, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? Yes, good, good. Bit chilly today, but it's all freezing, good isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it's so, so cold. cold. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so excited because I think we've had a lot of conversations in the past you know, briefly touching on the subject of our history with eating disorders, but I don't think we've ever, you know, really gone into depth. So thank you so much for joining. Um, Thank you for having me. (laughs) (laughs) You're more than welcome. Um, I think the first thing to just start off with, talking about your journey, what happened and how your eating disorder began. Yeah, okay. So um, I guess... It stems from quite a while back. Um, Mm. There were sort of many things leading up to it, but I guess the eating disorder started and my thoughts on eating and my behaviours changed probably sort of about year 10 or 11 in Mm. secondary school. Basically, uh, the summer between year 10 and 11, I had back surgery, which meant that I was very, very inactive for Mm. a good six months. I was bed bound for, you know, a good couple of weeks and then had to do very minimal activity. Um, And I went from being a really active girl. I used to dance, play tennis, play netball, loved sport, loved activity. And I went from that to being very, very inactive. So obviously with that came a few changes. It was also sort of at a time when, as all girls go through, you start growing boobs, you start growing (laughs) hips. And, you know, it's like a big change and your body changes. So... That was all sort of happening. And while I was inactive and while I wasn't doing much exercise, I had no thought. There was no guilt there. The thought didn't even enter my mind at all. It was Mm. just happening. And I was just so glad to get the surgery done and dusted. But then I guess throughout, I guess it probably was year 11, I just started to become more aware of what I looked like, the activities I do. And I think because I'd had such a long period of being inactive, it was just getting back into exercise it would just felt a bit of an effort and you know everyone everyone has those periods mm-hmm. but 
I think I probably, stemming from, so sort of prior to this, when I was in early secondary school, I was diagnosed with OCD. Mm. And those sort of obsessive tendencies definitely played a part in my eating disorder. So mm. when I sort of got to the point, probably about year 11, as I said, and I just, I just became more aware of what I was eating. And at first, it definitely just started as, I think I could probably eat a bit healthy, you know, I was sort of just... Mm eating what I wanted, when I wanted, and just being a regular teenager, you know, you start actually having the freedom to go to the shops and buy what you want <laughs> rather than just be given it to by your mum, you know? Yeah. Um, and it was like, wow, I have money to spend. I can buy that and eat that. Like, that's great. Mm. So it started off just deciding, oh, I'd like to eat a bit healthier. I'm going to get back into exercise and just feel a bit better. And at the start, hand on heart, it was fully sort of as simple as that, really. Mm. But I guess the obsessive nature, probably of my personality, I think I still have some obsessive traits and I think it becomes, you know, I'm always very passionate about things, but I think stemming from the OCD, I can become quite obsessive. So as sort of that year went on, I would start, it it would start off just trying to be eating healthy, as I said, but then I sort of started doing more exercise. I remember I joined the gym in year 12, and then as as I went through sick form, I would just start eating less and less, exercising more and more. And it got really bad when I was doing my A-levels. And me and my parents just put it down to stress. And we thought, you know mm. what, once I've got these done, when the summer comes, I'll feel a lot less stressed. It will feel so much better. And to an extent, that summer, definitely, I definitely did improve. Yeah. I was definitely less stressed and it was, you know, a lot better. And then I went um, to university, I went to Durham, so I was away from home and didn't come back to visit very often because of the Mm -hmm. distance. And again, at the start, a big change, all this kind of stuff. And throughout that year, I began losing even more weight. And for those who don't know me, I'm a tall girl, I'm five foot ten, so I'm not, you know, I'm not meant to be a size eight kind of thing you know I'm not built that way but I was sort of gradually getting smaller and smaller and then I remember that summer when I came home after my first year my mum and dad said to me look you need to we need to get you some help we need to Mm. um you know try and turn this around you know your attitude towards food and exercise isn't great and I knew that I did know that so that summer I started I actually had a private therapist Mm. I went to her flat wasn't very far from where I lived and once a week we just sort of have a few sort of chatting sessions and and that definitely did help she sort of diagnosed me as having disordered eating rather than an eating disorder at this point so that definitely helped and I stayed a bit in contact with her as I went into my second year Um, but in my second year I was living in a house with friends and that first term is really where my eating disorder got really bad I was away from home but in my first year, I was catered at uni, so I didn't okay. do any cooking. Yeah. They cooked for me, so pretty much ate what I was given, really, which I think probably saved me in that first year. Yeah. In second year, I was doing my own cooking. And then that's that's when it really went downhill. I was hardly eating anything, exercising all the time, and I came back for Christmas that year, and as soon as I stepped off the train, bless my mum, just burst into tears. There was absolutely mm. nothing of me. And, yeah, and then from then on it was like right this really needs to this really needs to start getting better and I decided not to go back to uni that year because Mm. I was all consumed by the eating disorder I couldn't work couldn't concentrate so yeah and I just realized the relationships I was damaging you know the friends the girls I live with they were all so so supportive and amazing but that's a lot 
for them to cope with as well yeah. and I think a lot of it was also I don't really want to have to put them through that because it's not a smooth journey recovery and mm. I needed to sort of be at home so that's that's really when it was sort of right this is really quite real now and I really hit rock bottom then and that's sort of when my journey started really. So do you think in a way it was a coping mechanism for, I mean, you said, you know, when it started in your A-levels, it was a coping mechanism for the stress of doing A-levels. Was it a similar sort of thing at uni with exams and stuff or had it just become part of your life and just carried on? I think it was a bit of a, although I didn't know it at the time, I think it was a bit of a coping mechanism. Mm. I think I, if I'm being truly honest, I enjoyed the compliments I used to get when yeah. someone would say oh my goodness wow you're so slim and you know mm. I'd go to a ball in a dress and there'd be absolutely nothing of me at this point and you know someone would say wow you're so slim all of this and although it pains me to say it now because I really wish I could sort of go back to my previous self and just say you know don't take these to heart kind of thing but yeah I did it's it you know when someone compliments you it does feel good so I think it was that a fueling mechanism for that Mm -hmm. I think it was a I was finding uni work really tough um so it was almost I always felt I guess in school I went from being sort of top of the class and then going to a university like Durham I'm very much like (laughs) bottom of the rank a tiny fish in a huge great big tank Mm. and I felt a little bit well felt completely out of my depth to be honest and I pushed through and I would keep up and I'd get going but I felt I guess a little bit out of control with that and the pressure that comes with an institution like Durham can -hmm. be quite intense and I think I felt I lost control with that and so my way of controlling something I think was my eating and my exercising so yeah definitely played a big part. And I suppose I mean I'm assuming here but you know go like you said going to Durham that is a fantastic university and if you're feeling completely out of control and you may be struggling with the curriculum and stuff being well I've got an eating disorder and I'm good at that horribly gives you that look at me like you know maybe I'm not like the best at what I'm doing at uni but people keep saying I'm slim so I've got something oh for sure and you know people say oh my goodness I can't believe you've got the motivation to go to the gym every morning Mm. I'd be like yeah I've got that motivation I get up every morning and I in second year, we actually lived in a house that was probably about half an hour walk away from college, which is where the gym was. Mm-hmm. So I used to cycle, but I used to cycle in the pouring rain at like six mm-hmm. o'clock in the morning, in the snow, in whatever weather. And I used to think, yeah, I've got this. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and everyone would be like, wow, how do you do it? How do you, how do you get the motivation to, and at that point, people didn't realise I was restricting so much. And it'd be like, how yeah. do you motivate yourself to eat so healthily? And I was like, yeah, just look at me kind of thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, it does, it kind of makes you feel good that exactly yeah. what you said, knowing that you're actually quite good at what you're doing yeah which is so sad to think but that's that is exactly how it felt and I think that massively reflects the society we're living in now because if you'd have said to somebody you know if they knew that you were struggling with an eating disorder they would not comment oh you know you're so slim or how do you have the motivation to go to the gym or eat healthy but when people don't know they're all traits that people massively desire and are having you know the self-control to not eat x y and z or what have you I think it's so difficult because how are people meant to know you've got an eating disorder but then also why don't we just stop focusing on those aspects being so desirable absolutely no completely and I think another thing is I would almost 
set myself up to get these comments maybe because you sort mm. of you yearn for them and you you want them because that's sort of what's in a way fueling you to keep going for a bit my motivation was sort of getting these comments so I don't know I, I don't know even know how I did that but it, I felt like I'd it's hard to say actually I, don't, I didn't feel like I was not there like oh wow look at me but you know I'd still turn up to all these things I wasn't like hiding away I'd still try yeah. and turn up and do all these things and you know somebody will ask what have you like to be like oh yeah well I did this at the gym this that at the gym and you know I was proud of it I mm. I was proud and it, it became a conversation point for me and all I thought about so no definitely yeah and so I mean I imagine that going from getting all those compliments and everything to then deciding you know when you went back at Christmas deciding right we need to change something what was it that you know sparked the wanting to recover for you obviously you said about you know you got off the train and your mum noticed that you were really thin but if you were receiving all those comments that felt really good what made you actually want to recover so I guess a couple of things so firstly she's still one of my best friends who I lived with in second year she actually got in contact with my mum to warn her of what was going on. My mum obviously had an inkling that things weren't great, but my friend wanted my mum to realise how bad it had got. And almost, mm. my mum didn't tell me for ages. And when I found out, I felt quite cross because I just thought, oh my goodness, how dare she like get in contact with my mum. But I'm so glad she did because if my mum didn't know, I bless her, I, she wouldn't have been able to cope. So I think having the knowledge that first, one of my best friends was so concerned about me really kind of frightened me. Another thing was when I decided to not go back to university, at first I was just going to have a year out and then come back, but there was always that thing in the back of my mind, like what if I never get well enough to go back? And I've worked all of my school years, I've worked so hard to get the A-levels, to go to Durham and to study mm. something I really love. And it was such a tough journey to get there. It saddened me so much that... I could just throw that all away by letting this disorder beat me. So that was definitely another factor. But I think 100% the biggest factor was I could see how much I was hurting my family. And mm. I still do live with my mum and dad. And at the time, my brother was still at home. And just seeing them look at me, trying to hold back the tears when they first saw me come off the train, and then the hurt I knew I was causing them, and actually especially my brother he's like two and a bit years younger than me and he was so scared bless him mm. that I wasn't going to get out of this and I thought oh my goodness these these people mean the absolute most to me I can't mm. believe my actions are causing them so much harm and I think that definitely something just this fire started inside of me and mm. I thought this is it I have to do it for them if not myself because I think for a lot of people I wasn't ready to start recovering then yeah absolutely not I wasn't ready but I knew I had to do it for my family. Mm. And I think without them, I definitely wouldn't be here today 100%. Yeah. So, I think that's really nice that you highlighted, you know, the fact that you personally weren't ready there. Because I think a lot mm. of the time people think they sit and wait that one day they're going to suddenly be struck by this. Oh, my God, I want to recover today. Mm. And I, I just don't think that's how it is. And I think you do need to have that motivation you know I'm speaking anecdotally here but for me I was very much the same as you and that I need to do this for my family mm. and then gradually as time went on I started to do it for Hannah but yeah. at the time I think you don't necessarily like yourself so doing it for yourself sometimes isn't 
the greatest thing but finding that motivation in others can be really useful oh absolutely I 100% agree um when I got off that train at Christmas and I came home nothing inside of me wanted to recover for me Mm. there was nothing about my actions that I wanted to change to make myself feel better not at all because for me it was easy at that time it was easy not to eat and it was easy to run like for an hour on a treadmill that was easy because that's what I've done day in day out for so long it was so much harder to fight against it Mm. so exactly for me I had the most amazing support from my mum my dad my brother and they sought out all the help that I needed. I did nothing because I was not in a mental state. I could, you know, mm. hardly stay awake for the whole day because I was so malnourished that they did absolutely everything. And I mean, they forced me to go to therapy and that mm. is the honest truth. And that I'm so glad they did because if they didn't, I wouldn't have gone, 100% wouldn't have gone. I think a lot of people suffering, they often wait for that spark and yeah. they often wait for that big... And for some people that does happen, mm. but definitely for me it gradually in increments and at the time it doesn't feel like you don't sort of have this thought where like I'm going to start recovering for me I definitely didn't anyway but as Mm. you as you go you then begin to start seeing the benefits and it is a slow process but I think if anyone listening is in this position even if you don't want to do it for yourself just try and find something inside of you you know whether it's your friends your family your education your career goals your anything Mm. try and find that little something to just get you going and once you're going it does get easier Mm. and I suppose that is so important I think that can be a range of different things a few weeks ago we had Aidan on and he said that for him it was just the harsh truth of his therapist he just needed that and that that kicked him up the ass and that got him going you know like you're saying finding that motivation from others or for some people I think sometimes it can horribly you have to hit rock bottom before you can bounce back up so when you kind of decided yeah okay we're going to go ahead with recovery now where did you go to seek help so I first I went to the doctors or my parents took me to the doctors and they did all the usual sort of weight measurement blood pressure all that and they said no you definitely need to go see a specialist So they referred me to the Maudsley Hospital up in London. Mm -hmm. And I was actually really lucky. I got transferred onto a study which was looking at... It was basically trying to prove that if you intervene with a young person's eating disorder sooner, Mm -hmm. their recovery is quicker. So I was really lucky because Mm. in sort of an eating disorder sense, I had only been really bad for probably about a year I so I guess I've been suffering in an eating disorder mindset for about a year but the last few months have been when it was worse right. so I was in a way kind of lucky as weird as that sounds because for many people that is a whole lot longer before yeah. they're even able to access somewhere to recover or get the knowledge mm. or anything so I was able to get on this study so they put me on this study and then I was referred to a psychologist um, at the Morsley and I first had this initial assessment and I think to be honest at that point it did really hit home and I think at that point I'd never actually been scared about it I'd never it never scared me it never I never thought wow you know I need to get help at no point Mm -hmm. except when I went and had my first consultation and I went to the toilet while I was there and 
None of the toilet doors have locks on them for safety reasons, for inpatients. Everything is so clinical. And I, I couldn't believe the doors didn't have locks on and straight away I sort of realised why that was. Yeah. And I went back in and they weighed me and the lady that I saw said, you are at such a low BMI. She said, if you lose any more weight, like anything at all, you will have to be brought in and will have to, you'll have to stay at the hospital and be an mm-hmm. inpatient. And she said, because if you lose any more weight, you're at risk that your heart will stop, give up and you could die. Gosh. And I literally sat there because at that point, I didn't think I was that bad. I knew mm. I had a problem and I knew I had an eating disorder. But when you're in that place, you can't see it truly. No. And I actually fully didn't realise how poorly I was until she said, if you lose any more weight, you could actually die because your organs will stop working. And Gosh. I sat there and I, I didn't believe it at first. I thought she's just saying that to scare me. But when I was sort of going away with my mum and I just said, I, I just didn't know. And she said, you're so poorly, Katie, you, you know, this is it now, we're going to get you help. And at that point, I thought, oh, my goodness, obviously, I do not want to be in that state. And I said, if I become an inpatient, I don't know how I will cope because yeah. I need my mum, my dad. And I, I did not want to stay there. So that really scared me at that point. And I mm. said to my mum, I, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go in. I, I can't lose any more weight. Um, so, yeah, that was that was like a big milestone, I think. Yeah, that must have been absolutely terrifying to sit there. But I suppose it's it's very similar to what I was saying before about like the harsh reality. I think sometimes even when you're in it, you can just think, oh, I'm just I'm just not eating a bit. I'm just losing weight. It's just a diet. Everybody does it. Mm. Mm. But then having being told that that must have been absolutely terrifying. Mm. It was it was completely terrifying because Mm. You just, I just remember feeling numb and my mum saying, are you okay? And I just, I just, I didn't even know what to say. I was just so numb and it was, I felt like everything around me was just crumbling because it, it was, it was tough and it was so upsetting and it definitely, I think that will always stick with me. I can always, mm. you know, I can still picture the lady saying that to me and she didn't do it to completely freak me out, but she almost sort of did because I needed that kick. I needed mm to know the truth. And I don't think my mum realised actually how, she knew it was serious a lot more than I did, but I don't think she realised how close I was to becoming seriously, seriously poorly. So yeah, I'm definitely glad she told me for sure. Yeah, I suppose from your mum's point of view, I think often you don't even want to recognise the fact that it is, that's, you know, you're her little girl, you're her baby. Uh, yeah, so sure. I'm sure for her, she was just kind of trying to think, oh, I'm sure everything's fine. Mm, um, oh, definitely. So obviously then you started your recovery, but I think it's obviously, like you said before, you could do the eating disorder. You could, you found it easy to not eat. You found it not easy to go on a treadmill for an hour. Then when you start challenging those eating disorder thoughts, I think that's the difficulty, isn't it? So how, how did you manage that? You know, what sort of things, what support did you have in place for that for yourself? So, um, actually, so as I mentioned before, I suffered with OCD, um, Mm. sort of, I think I was at my worst in about year nine. So I'd already had CBT therapy for Mm. that. And it was the sort of, I used the tools that I was given for that to help me along with my eating disorder. Because Mm. when I had, I say when I had, OCD will always be with me. But when I was really struggling with OCD, 
I had to think of it as this sort of like, I think I used to call it the gremlin that would come into my head and that was what was controlling me and making me do all these things. Mm. So I used that idea that it wasn't me, it wasn't Katie, it was mm-hmm. it was an intrusive thoughts making me do these things. So with my eating disorder, it was, I used to refer to them as my demons. So mm-hmm. it was the eating disorder telling me about all these things. It wasn't truly Katie. So whenever I'd get a thought, you know, I'd sit down to try and eat something and I'd say, I don't want it. It's going to make me put on weight, all this. I would sit there and just try and tell myself that it wasn't. And it was, you know, it was the eating disorder telling me this. And mm. that that definitely helped just separating myself from the eating disorder because mm. they were two separate things. And unfortunately, the eating disorder just took control of me and for a long time completely was running completely throughout my veins if you know what I mean it Mm. was completely me and just being able to separate that really helped as I said my my parents were absolutely amazing and I know I've already said it but honestly without their support without their continued support they bought Mm. so many books bless them to try and (laughs) clue themselves up onto everything um they came and did everything every step of the way they would sit with me and try and you know get me to eat and they were there when I'd scream and shout and they were there when I'd be in floods of tears. They were there when I was at my happiest. They were there when I was at my lowest. And honestly, honestly, without that support network, I wouldn't have got through it. So I know everyone doesn't have a strong support network, but if you do cherish it and make the most of it and I, I am so lucky to have it. So that's, that's another thing. Um, but yeah, I think, I think probably, as I said, the main thing is realizing that my eating disorder wasn't me it was just Mm. you know something sort of coming into my head and taking over and as soon as I sort of realized that I was able to sort of think to myself okay it's the eating disorder telling me that I shouldn't eat this I want to look this way I need to do this not Katie so Mm. sit there let it fade away and then try and eat the sandwich again sort of thing so that that definitely helped for me and did you find that challenging those thoughts you know if your eating disorder said don't eat the sandwich would you just go completely against it or would you say yes okay but try and challenge it in a different way later on so a strategy that I learned I think in the early days I was quite numb to it all to be honest Mm -hmm. and I think my body has almost made me forget about most of it because it was so horrific and at that point we started off just my mum would basically try and offer me tiny bits of food Mm. just to try and get some nutrition in me because at that point when I came home I was honestly eating absolutely nothing so Mm. they were also very aware that they couldn't just start giving me food because it would make me worse and very ill so at first it was just drip feeding and at that point I could sort of cope with having little bits I think probably the adrenaline of the whole situation I also I remember having this feeling of you know, people ask me, like, what are we going to do? Like, we need to get you to put on weight. And almost having that knowledge that I need to put on weight made me feel good because I was like, wow, I must be really small if someone's mm. telling me I need to put on weight. So it kind of, in a weird kind of way, I kind of tricked myself because mm. I felt good. I was like, oh, I definitely can afford to eat now. Thank God. Like, mm. I've starved myself. I can now afford to eat. And yeah. I think at the beginning, that helped me get through in a weird sort of way. But later on, I learn a sort of, I realise that when these sort of intrusive thoughts come, 
instead of trying to fight them, when you fight them, it almost gives them the attention they want and they become bigger and stronger and louder. Mm. I would sort of realise that they would just, I used to call it junk mail coming into the inbox. Hmm. They're there just to fill it up. I would just have to sit there, acknowledge they're there, not fight them, just let them come, just sit, just breathe. And actually, if you just let them flow in and then flow out again, they're not so strong because you haven't given them the attention. And I'd sort mm. of sit there, do that. And some days it'd be easier and I'd be able to think, I've done this, I'm going to sit here, I'm going to enjoy this sandwich for what it is. On other days, it'd be so much harder and I might mm. be able to get one bite through a sandwich and that's it. But, you know, recovery, I think that's another thing is to say is recovery definitely isn't linear. It's, you know, <laughs> no. a lot of the time two steps forward, one step back, three steps forward, three steps back, you know, yeah. and it's, it's, it's tough. It is definitely tough, but you know, learning definitely for me, as you said, learning to deal with these intrusive thoughts was a massive part of recovery. Mm, yeah. It's actually really interesting what you've just said, because we've spoken about that on previous episodes in that what you were saying about the fact that you kind of felt like, oh, I must be really sick if if I'm being told to put on weight now, it's almost as though you've got anorexia on one side saying, don't do that, don't do that. And that's like, you know, you were saying a separate voice to your own. But then this other voice is coming on, whether it was the doctor or your parents or whatever, saying you need to put on weight. And it's kind of like that external validation of it's actually okay, you can do that. And that fought against the anorexic voice, which was kind of backing you up as well. Yeah, for sure. No, definitely, definitely. Mm. I think, you know, on the aspect of that external voice and stuff, I think a, a big worry for a lot of people when they're recovering is loneliness because, mm. you know, you're constantly, whatever you're doing, you've got that voice in the back of your head. And sometimes it feels like a friend. Sometimes it feels like an enemy. Mm. But I think a lot of people can be concerned about, OK, if I recover, then what will I be after that? Because, you know, right now you're your eating disorder how did you manage those sorts of thoughts and what sort of tips would you have for people that are worried about you know life without their eating disorder as you said I I definitely did that did get that sort of loneliness feeling um especially when because no one could see what was going on in my head obviously Mm -hmm. the eating disorder had a physical effect on me and that was you know what was causing me so much ill health but you know I'd sit there and get these horrible thoughts and the eating disorder telling me like you shouldn't eat that but if you eat that you should go and run for this amount of time to burn it off nobody was there with me in that moment to experience these thoughts Mm. and that for me felt lonely because I thought oh my goodness like I wish somebody could just be in here with me to help me and not just me trying to fight it and then yeah definitely it's it's someone you know when I started to recover in my head it was my psychologist taking that thing away from me I was like but this is as you said this is my thing this is what I'm good at like Mm, yeah you know and it's it's really hard and it was as you said sometimes it is a friend and I felt like it was taking such a big chunk away from me Mm. um but I think my main motivation was I envied my friends you know I'd watch them spontaneously go out for dinner and or you know I'd watch them go out with a friend and then they walk past a really tasty pizza restaurant and they're like oh my god should we just go in and have some pizza mm. and that to me would frighten the absolute living daylights <laughs> out of me like the thought yeah. of when I used to think about that I used to think oh my goodness how can you do that but I used to be really jealous of that and watching all my friends go out and you know just live their life pretty much mm. and I I felt really jealous and some days I wouldn't feel jealous. I would be like, no, I'm quite comfortable where I am and I like being this skinny and, you know, I like 
fitting into really tiny clothes. Um, but then other days I would, I would just envy friends not worrying about what they eat and not worrying yeah. about food and, you know, doing exercise because they want to, but not mm. getting up every day at the crack of dawn. And for me, that was the way I was able to override that loss of my eating disorder yeah. and feeling like someone was just slowly picking bits of it away from me and taking it away. I used the motivation to, I just wanted to be like my friends. I wanted mm-hmm. to enjoy my life. I wanted to, you know, go out and just have fun. And I mm-hmm. think that is a massive thing that, that drove me, um, which I guess I'm really lucky to have because my friends were so supportive and they slowly were able to sort of draw me back in, which is so amazing. But yeah, that was definitely a big motivation for me. Mm. And it's funny you say that, isn't it? Because, you know, we were just talking about the fact that, you know, people feel lonely if they get rid of their eating disorder. But actually, by having your eating disorder, it stops you being able to go out and socialise. You know, like you were saying, you couldn't just go out for pizza randomly with your friends and stuff like that. But then, you know, recovery just allows you to go and be sociable, not have that anxiety about, oh God, what if they randomly want an ice cream and Mm. all of that. So actually, that loneliness that you fear that you're not going to have your eating disorder, you actually have your proper friends back. Oh, 100%. And it's, it is the most amazing feeling. And don't get me wrong, it's not an overnight switch. And it's not (laughs) like, okay, I feel like I've recovered now, let's go out. Not at all. I've had, I've had times where I've been out with my friends. And we've planned to go to a restaurant and we've sort of done all this thing. And I get there and it's completely and utterly overwhelming. And I just think, oh my goodness, I can't do that. And I order something and sort of pick at it. And I knew my friends could see what I was doing. But again, I was lucky enough to have the most supportive friends that they they just sat there. They didn't comment. They were just happy that I was there. And we chatted through it as in didn't chat about what was happening, but we just Mm. kept chatting and they let me do my thing. And I would come back and sometimes feel quite disappointed and think, oh my goodness, I just can't do this. And sometimes I think, you know what, I was really struggling. The fact that I just had a little bit is better than nothing. And it's it's definitely, you know, not a quick a quick thing. It, I didn't suddenly think, oh my goodness, I can just go out and have a drink and everything. And it, it's reminding yourself that it's it's not a smooth journey, it's a bumpy road. Mm-hmm. Um, but every little improvement will get you closer to health. I didn't want to say to a recovered state, for me, I don't think there was ever like a final point where mm. I was like, wow, I'm recovered. But yeah. it's just getting yourself to a state where you can live your life sort of healthily and happily. I just wanted to ask, because I think often when we talk about eating disorders, we concentrate on the individual that's suffering from the eating disorder. And I think, you know, often a lot of the time, like parents or boyfriends, girlfriends, friends can be forgotten about. Mm. So as a friend, what sort of things did your friends do that could be advice for if people are listening and their friends are struggling with eating disorders, of how to, you know, support your friend and just make sure that you're there for them? No, I think definitely I had, I still have the most amazing friends and (laughs) they have stuck by me through literally everything. And we always sort of make this joke that they have literally stuck by me through thick and thin. And that is, you know, (laughs) the honest truth they really have. Um, So I guess they were good at I wouldn't say steering the conversation because it wasn't an obvious thing, but, Mm. and I don't think I knew it was happening at the time, but they definitely made sure that eating, exercise or anything surrounding my eating disorder, we never really spoke about if we were having a chill together, if I ever saw them. And I don't think I realised they were doing it at the time. And I guess probably a part of it is that they, you know, there was still a lot they didn't know about. I, I was quite open with my eating disorder and 
I always have been and I, I want to be able to help people by sharing my experience but they were still you know unsure of everything but they never really asked me much about it and for me that was great because my time with my friends was my time to try and forget about things that were going on in my head and to enjoy myself so to be able to talk about anything else like gossip or the news or you know mm -hmm. like all of those sorts of things so that was amazing. I also had when I was at my worst, I sort of didn't really ever leave the house, to be honest, except if I was exercising. And I sort of just, you know, buried myself away and didn't really mm. want to talk to anyone. But my, all my friends messaged me and were just like, hi, Katie, I've heard you're not going through such a great time at the moment, but please, you know, I'm, I'm here if you need anything, please just message. And yeah. that meant so much to me because it wasn't a, what can I do to help? Shall I do this? Shall I do that? Mm. Because at the time... That would have been completely overwhelming and I didn't know what I wanted. I, yeah. I, you know, I could, I could just about, you know, get up in the morning and go and brush my teeth at this point because I was at complete rock bottom. But just knowing they were there mm -hmm. was so amazing. And I guess girls at uni, they made me like this little care package that they sent to mm -hmm. me. And it was just a gesture of knowing that they were there, knowing that I could rely on them and have their support when I wanted or needed it mm -hmm. was so, so amazing and I was so grateful and I think one thing to maybe not do and none of my friends did this but I've sort of heard sort of anecdotal stories where you know friends have sort of tried to encourage whoever is suffering like buying them food oh like you know try this and at the time they think that's really helpful but yeah it's I don't know for me that definitely wouldn't have been helpful and I think I would have felt quite embarrassed by it because I'm like oh yeah. my goodness they they think that I should be eating all this stuff and I just can't and I, I don't, I can't imagine anyone would, would do that, especially mm. not in a sort of malicious way. But just for me, just knowing my friends were there, if I needed them was so important. Yeah, I suppose, you know, with that food thing, it's it's almost forceful. And mm. then they've spent their own money on this food. And it mm. kind of highlights everything. Like you say, it's that embarrassment of you're making it obvious now that I can't eat. So, yeah. Something I really wanted to ask you, which I, I am intrigued in. So obviously you did your master's in public health and clinical nutrition. I think obviously, you know, especially at the moment with it just being New Year and covid and lockdown and everything people are massively talking about sort of like eating healthily and all of that and i just wondered how you navigate all of that information because i think often a lot of the time the comments that are discussed in terms of healthy eating can sometimes be quite restrictive anyway mm. so how do you navigate that and you know how did you do your masters without kind of slipping back into old habits of restrictive behaviors I think there was always, for me, when I decided to do my master's, I said to myself I would only go on and do further education if I truly felt I could do it you know, like physically and mentally in myself. Mm. And I was lucky enough to... So after I dropped out of Durham, I then retook second year and then did third year at Durham and built some amazing friends, managed to really feel like I was gaining more control over my eating disorder and it, you know those little demons got smaller and smaller and smaller and don't get me wrong they're of course they're still around sometimes but mm. I managed to get to a point mentally where I knew that I could tackle this masters and put my full effort into it and not mm. be sort of dragged into a, a different way of thinking so I think firstly I was I just had to be honest with myself and I said it to my parents said I really want to do this masters but I'm not going to go into it if I have any doubts of being able to cope because yeah. when I was at my worst food and exercise was all I could think about mm. so if I'm going into something where 
pretty much food and some of the time it's exercise and healthy living is all we talk about you know and all I think about like that could have been really bad for me so first of all it was being honest and then I guess I'm quite lucky I I am an absolute geek I love <laughs> learning and I love science so for me it was a great way of actually you know all those thoughts I used to have and all those sort of ideas I had in my head about you can't eat this that will make you you know put on weight or blah de, blah de, blah actually realizing the science and the true story yeah. behind eating and exercise was amazing for me it was mm. an absolute revelation and I felt freed actually because thinking wow that eating disorder really was absolute rubbish because yeah. this is the science and this is empowering and if I've ever chatted with friends that actually have come to me or friends of friends that have struggled with eating disorders and they've come to me because I, I really enjoy sharing my story and I, I mm. love being able to help people and I'm lucky mm-hmm. enough that having these conversations, I'm not really sure if I like the word, but they don't sort of trigger anything for me. Mm. So I really enjoy being able to back everything up that I say with science. So if, you know, someone says, but I just don't get it, like, surely if I eat this, 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 I will put on weight if I'm doing less exercise. And, you know, I can say, but, you know, and having that knowledge behind it, I found so empowering. For me, that was that was an amazing feeling. And I think also having you and our other two really close friends from uni, having our little community was so great because we could discuss all of these things. And, yeah. you know, there'd all be points where all of us would have a wobble, whether it be <laughs> completely mental health related or not having Mm. that community and being able to go through all of this together was so important and I think you'd probably agree that we all had little meltdowns every now and then you know (laughs) what's uni without them (laughs) (laughs) literally and I think it wouldn't always necessarily be eating related and for us to we'd be able to share our experiences and sort of bounce off each other so again having that friendship and community was another way that I was able to not listen to those demons and really focus on my studies and what the science actually says so Mm. yeah I think that's so nice that you've highlighted during our discussion today is just the support of friends and how important that is and I think often it can be really scary when you are in the depths of an eating disorder because you think oh I've not got the energy to be nice people aren't going to want to be my friend anymore but actually people just want you to be okay yeah sure they just they also say oh my goodness we just want the old Katie back and Mm. you know I was thinking oh my goodness that's actually as sad as that is in that moment it's lovely to think that I used to be fun (laughs) so (laughs) you know do you know what I mean and it's nice to think wow I want to go back to that I want to be able to go out with my friends and go drinking all night and then feel horrifically hungover the next day you know like I want to do that yeah (laughs) Yeah. and I think in a way like sometimes you know my friends used to say oh we just want the old Hannah back. But now I look at myself and I think, yeah, but look at the Hannah now. Like yeah. if I hadn't have been through that before, maybe I wouldn't be the person I am today. Oh, 100%. So, I would agree completely. Yeah, I think there's always a there's always a silver lining, isn't there, out of oh. everything. Oh, definitely. So just to kind of finish today, I've been asking all the guests, um, you know, as this podcast aims to motivate and inspire others struggling with eating disorders you know we massively focused on recovery today but Mm. what would be your top tip or your best advice for people looking for the motivation to recover from their eating disorder so I'd say just remind yourself that you're not alone and you don't have to go through it alone absolutely not whether you discuss how you're feeling and your struggles with just a professional or with 
your family and your friends just realize that you're not alone and um, mm. there are some amazing services out there and try if you can and get some help share your feelings with the people that you love that really helped me they want to help you they want to be there you have so many people that love you and just want you to be happy and use that energy from them to push those demons and all those thoughts out of your head and even if at the start you can't do it for yourself do it for those people that you love because mm. sooner or later you will be so glad you did and mm. when you get to the other side it's so much brighter it's so lovely and it, it's just amazing to be free again so yeah you you can all do it I absolutely believe in you <laughs> Oh, that was that was really I could see your face glowing then. That was so lovely <laughs> how you described that. And I just wanted to say before you go, it's been really nice to listen to everything you have to say today. So if people want to find out more about, you know, you've mentioned all the science that you still follow and everything with nutrition, where can they find you to find out more information? Yeah, so um, I co-run EK Nutrition with Ema. So I am the K to EK. Um, and so you can find us on Instagram at e.k.nutrition. We try and share evidence-based posts, recipes, few random stories flung in there for good measure. <laughs> so yeah, definitely, definitely go and check us out. Thank you so much for joining us today, Katie, and sharing your story. It really was truly inspiring to listen to. And like I said at the start, you know, really nice to find out more about where you've come from and have that chat with you. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed that conversation with Katie and I think she highlighted the importance of finding support throughout recovery and also that if you are somebody who's providing support just being a shoulder for somebody to cry on and not trying to be perfect at helping them is exactly the best thing to do. Next week we will be joined by Hope Virgo who is an eating disorder campaigner and runs the campaign Dump the Scales. She is also the author of Stand Tall Little Girl and her new book Hope Through Recovery. With Hope we discuss campaigns, education and also what brought her to being so passionate about raising awareness of eating disorders as well as reducing their incidence through early intervention and education. But I went into the appointment and was really, really honest and went through like my history. I talked about what was going on in my head. I talked about the death that had happened in my family and I pretty much ticked every single box to access treatment apart from the weight box. And I remember like they looked at me, they weighed me and they were like, you're not underweight. If you enjoyed listening today, you won't want to miss next week's episode. So please be sure to subscribe. Please also like, comment and share this podcast with anyone you feel that may be struggling at the moment. Not only those with eating disorders, but also their loved ones, as this can be a difficult time for everyone. Eating disorders are crippling illnesses and this podcast aims to motivate and inspire others to embark their recovery journey. For further support, please visit the Beat or the First Steps website or speak to your local GP. See you next week. Bye!